You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week, we'll be discussing Trump's America, which we are now all living in, Dream Kardashian, and the backlash to Leslie Jones on Saturday Night Live. Leave a message. Hey, Ira. It's Doe. I don't have a joke this week because, honestly, nothing seems funny. But I know once you call me, you'll make me laugh. So please call me back. Hello, fellow Trump voter. <laughs> How is it that the first thing that you say is funny? <laughs> Listen, I want people to know that I voted for Trump. I want to be safe in any situation that I walk into. So I am now forever <laughs> announcing that I voted for Trump whenever I see a white person. That reminds me. So did you see the video of this comedian on Twitter? She's putting on, she's black and she's putting on concealer that's about like 10 shades too light for her. And she's just like going on about how she's, she doesn't know anything about blackness. Like she would never vote for Obama. Like who's Obama? And I think the ways in which black people have found to Was that Omarosa? No, it was this young comedian, and actually her video got taken down from Twitter because white people said it was like a hate, you know, hate speech or whatever, because she was doing whiteface. <laughs> you know what? White people do not know what hate speech is, to be honest. Actually, I think they finally do, because, you know, the quote-unquote liberal white people have finally realized that the rest of their brethren are trash. Yeah, so basically, you know, we're a week out from what is our new reality here. And I think that every white person, whether or not they voted for Trump, whether or not they voted for Clinton, third party, or if they didn't vote at all, is experiencing a reckoning. For people who did vote for Trump, they are so excited, like, White nationalism but, is their gospel. But yet still angry. Still angry. <laughs> yeah. They'll always have a reason to be angry, right? <laughs> like, they won, and yet they're still being angry online. My God. Like, Trump was tweeting this week about how, you know, the popular vote is, like, fucked up because he didn't win that. And it's like, dude, you won the presidency you won by every marker of it and you still find something to be wrong with it they're so mad but um yeah you know they're happy because white nationalism is here the other white people are like oh my god we didn't know that white people were still racist we've been telling y'all i don't have any patience for that and i also don't have patience for the argument that on november 8th 2016 America died or on November 8th you know there was a huge division in this country there's always been a division in this country you people just didn't pay attention what did you think they really didn't they really didn't like what did you think was happening when the voting rights act got slashed early earlier this year what do you think is happening when young black and brown people are being killed by the police in the street this is all part of the same project 
Trump is not an anomaly. He's a logical conclusion to a movement that you guys have been either ignoring or actually fomenting. You Stop know? watching Big Bang Theory and pay attention. <laughs> All those white people who are wearing safety pins as if to designate themselves as safe havens. You know, you're the same white people who don't have any black friends. You have to make a public show of wearing a safety pin because there isn't anybody in your life who is marginalized that you can actually help. That should be embarrassing to you. That should be embarrassing to you. White people have like taken to wearing safety pins so that people know that they are a safe space in public. I guess. I don't know. People are selling <laughs> these safety pins for like $300, though. I know. I Instagrammed about it. <laughs> like, nev- never, never underestimate the ability for people to scam. <laughs> now that a scammer is in the Oval Office. I mean, yeah. Well, not yet. And speaking of, okay, so... This isn't immediately after the election. Like, we've had a week. News has come in. Can we talk about the fact that this ripe tangerine does not even want to live in the Oval Office? He has said that he will spend the weekdays, you know, doing the 9 to 5 in the White House. And then he wants to spend time in either his New York City apartment or his Mar-a-Lago estate. He's not interested in being there. Bitch, you need to be in the White House. Does he not understand what it is to be president? He doesn't, like, though. Like, what if 9-11 happens and, like, does everyone in the government have to fly to Mar-a-Lago <laughs> to brief his ass? I mean, the thing is, I think it's sinking in more and more as we realize that He honestly, as compared to like other fascists and dictators in the past, his strength is in numbers. He is building a cabinet, building supporters. You know, he says that he still wants to do rallies. He still wants to rile people up in this way. Donald Trump is just one figure in this whole landscape that is dangerous. It's Steve Bannon. It's Paul Ryan. It's Giuliani. It's Ben Carson. It's Sarah Palin. It's all these niggas. All of them. Actually, literally moments ago, Ben Carson announced that he will have no part in Trump's cabinet. He said that he did not believe he had the experience since he's never held a job Didn't in government Didn't he run for president? Before. <laughs> yes, the nigga ran for president, but somehow he has forgotten. He has forgotten that. I told y'all he was asleep during that whole thing. He just woke up. He was sleepwalking. And he's like, oh whoa, God. what happened? Donald Trump? I don't think so. I think this is actually the blackest thing that Ben Carson has ever done. You know, because he's all for, you know, being like a black Republican, selling people out. He wants that power, hates abortion, hates the gays, whatever. But he started seeing all of these little KKK Russian nesting dolls showing up (laughs) in Trump's cabinet and i think he finally looked in the mirror realized he was black and backed away 
Absolutely. I mean, I think that seeing people like Ben Carson kind of remove themselves. Also, Kellyanne Conway has intimated that she's not really trying to be, you know, all up in the Oval Office for people who are she actually She just wanted to raise her profile. Yeah, she for people not, who are white supremacists. For people who are white supremacists <laughs> to say, even I'm not going to fuck with this shit, like we're doomed, y'all. Like this was a nice run. But and tell I don't me know if you we're saw. Gonna... <laughs> wait, tell me you saw Omarosa crying about the fact that her friends have abandoned her since she supported Trump. Of course, I did. Who? <laughs> <laughs> first of all, Omarosa had friends. You know, she had three, and all three of well, them are gone. <laughs> is is she is she in like a whack Sex in the City? With her, Stacey Dash, GOP Black Chick, and Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> oh my god! I uh, oh, I can't wait until uh, Dictator Trump deports you. You're too much for me right now. I can't handle it. He is gonna deport me. It's fine. You know what? As long as he sends me somewhere nice. Um, send me to Hawaii. Send me to Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii, huh? I don't think that, like, those rural white people in America know that Hawaii is actually part of the U.S., so I could probably trick them into deporting me there. <laughs> So, everything sucks, but there are some things that we can do not to necessarily make ourselves feel better. I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys to be hopeful because I think that's bullshit. But I do think that there are things that we can do to educate ourselves so that we're more prepared. And so, Ira and yes. I just want to, like, rattle off some books some that you can read, some movies that you can watch that will help you get a better sense of what is to come in this new America. You want to start? Yes. Yes. Um, The first film um, I would suggest is, we've already talked about it on the podcast, but Ava DuVernay's 13th Mm -hmm. is essential. Uh, It's on Netflix. You can watch it. It will tell you a lot about our criminal justice system and ways that we have been combating it for decades and will continue to do no matter who's in power. Yep. I'm going to suggest that you read Kimberly Crenshaw. So Kimberly Crenshaw is a legal professor, and she's actually the person who came up with the name for an idea that has always existed, but it's called intersectional theory, which I'm sure you guys have been hearing about. And it's okay to you know admit to yourself that you may not know the origins of it, but Professor Crenshaw has written many papers on intersectional theory, and it'll help you better understand how we need to make coalitions between people of all different kinds of identities in order to, you know, combat the white coalition that, you know, spoke spoke their piece last week. So I would recommend you read all of Kimberly Crenshaw's papers on intersectionality. 
I also think that if you want to understand a bit more about Trump, there's a great documentary called Central Park Five because you need to be educated on who this man is. And if you don't know who he is and you voted for him or, you know, you voted for Tinkerbell and that other toadstool, then maybe you need to do some educating yourself. Who are you talking about? <laughs> I was talking about Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. Oh. <laughs> Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell and a mushroom. She okay? does look like Tinkerbell. I was trying to think of like I was trying to think of like woodland like fairies and things. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god, that's hilarious. I'm also going to suggest that you guys read some James Baldwin. I know a lot of people tend to go to black thinkers and critics that we had earlier in the 20th century, like people like W.B. Du Bois. But James Baldwin really wrote in a time that is super similar to ours. Like he almost is a contemporary to many of us living right now. And he wrote this book called The Fire Next Time, which is about 50 years old. And it's hot. It's so no hot. <laughs> It's one of the influences for Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, actually, because one of the essays in, in it takes form as a letter that Baldwin writes to his nephew. And I think that book really speaks well to the ways that blackness and religion inform each other and also negate each other. And I suspect that religion is going to be a really big thing in the next years. You know, I think people are going to, like, turn to other institutions for guidance and he's a really good person to have, you know, to help ground you as you think about, you know, possibly taking up that kind of practice. Um, I will also suggest there's a new film coming out um, called I Am Not Your Negro about James Baldwin. It's a documentary. Awesome. Um, I have not seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's about James, who's one of my favorite authors. There are also like just read a lot of James Baldwin, to be honest, you know, yeah. not just the fire next time. Another country is great, especially for y'all who might be thinking about trying to flee somewhere else. It's a good <laughs> read. Keep your ass here. They don't and want fight. you anywhere else anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and also The Devil Finds Work, which is a great book of essays like cultural criticism from Baldwin. Um, I'll also suggest What Happened, Miss Simone, that came out last year. Ooh, that's and it good. talks about Nina Simone um, and her civil rights activism. And I think that could be very helpful as well. Yeah. And then I think just the last suggestion we have for you, there's this book called Sisters of the Yam, and it's by Bell Hooks. And it's really about self-care, but not in a way that's indulgent, um, bell hooks in these chapters sources the way that we black women in particular have historically taken care of ourselves in the face of warfare and I think it's super important that you remember yes you can be angry all the time and you might have to be angry all the time but you also have to make sure that your body is just functioning well you have to make sure that you eat you have to make sure that you exercise if that's something that's good for you meditation all that stuff and it's a really good guide to learning how to take care of yourself in hostile environments. Not that America hasn't always been hostile, but I think especially we're going to be exposed to things that some of us may not have been exposed to in our lifetimes. Also, watch the movie White Chicks. 
I think that we're all going to be wearing white prosthesis in the future so that we can avoid detection. So, yeah, watch White Chicks and learn how to do it. I never thought I would say this, but I'm going to co-sign that suggestion. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And on a sadder note, uh, as we finish our politics chat, um, Gwen Eiffel died this week. And mm-hmm. I know how much she meant to you, Doreen. Yes. And I just wanted to know if you have come to terms with it yet, if you have any words you would like to say. Yeah, I definitely have something I want to say. Um, I grew up without cable for a very long time. It was a mixture of my parents not really being able to afford it, and then also thinking that it was, you know, the devil. My parents are West Indian immigrants, so they got some special beliefs. So we watched PBS <laughs> a lot. Um, and Gwen, Gwen Eiffel was a reporter on PBS, and before that she had worked, you know, at a Baltimore newspaper. She'd worked at the New York Times, and I'd always admired her, mostly because I didn't have anybody else to admire, you know? She was the first black woman to host a political news show in 1999. She broke down so many barriers, and she did them all with rigor and grace. I think especially for other writers in 2016, sometimes it feels like white editors and managers aren't letting you do the kind of reporting that your white counterparts do. And part of that is because, you know, like think pieces are easier to write or think pieces are the only medium that these editors see black people in POC as being like valuable to contribute to. And Gwen Ifill was absolutely the opposite of that. She was always reporting. She was always listening to people. She was never subscribing to preconceived ideas about blackness in America or just about Americanness. Um, and it's just such a tragic loss. It feels like with this presidency going into 2017, we needed her more than ever. But what we can do is replicate her example. What we can do is talk to people. What we can do is tell the story of America as it truly happens in in the next four years, because this administration is absolutely hellbent on propaganda and not letting people's voices be heard. So I think that that's like the best thing we can all do as journalists, but then also just like regular ass people. Follow her example. Tell the truth. Donald Trump was elected president last week, but also a new Kardashian was born. Her name is Dream Kardashian. I want everybody to welcome our new Lord and Savior, this beautiful black girl, to the world, please. I am so happy that Dream was born, and I think that it happened last week because have you seen A Nightmare on Elm Street? (laughs) I have not seen that. A Nightmare on Elm Street 5 is called The Dream Child. And I really think that Dream Kardashian came forth as the sole person who will be able to take down Donald Trump. She's already so brave. 
She has an Instagram account. She's posted some photos from it already. She can't mm-hmm. open her eyes yet, but somehow she already knows how to use an Instagram account. Mm-hmm. She's well, already that's possibly... innate in Kardashian DNA. This is true. This is true. This is true. Um, but yeah, she's the first black female Kardashian to ever exist. That family <laughs> is going to be shook. <laughs> Can I tell you, watching this black girl grow up, being an actual Kardashian is going to send Chloe into a tailspin, for one. (laughs) This is about to be some, like, all about Eve, Sunset Boulevard shit. Chloe will not be able to handle it. (laughs) Talking about, look at my cornrows, guys. And everyone will be like, "Um, look at Dream's natural hair. So while China was actually in labor last week, she did the mannequin challenge. And it's so funny because Kris Jenner is behind her and she's wearing scrubs. And Rob Kardashian is standing at the edge of the gurney with his arms laid out to receive Dream. And China is pushing and her mom is holding her shoulder in, in the back of her. And it was just like, usually, you know what? I'll I'll restate this. I do think it's like nuts that a newborn baby already has an internet presence. Like it actually does rub me the wrong way a little bit. But Mm -hmm. with China, it's like she does it with such humor. And I'm able to balance the fact that like maybe this baby was born out of pettiness, but she also loves her baby. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe that's okay in 2016. I like the mannequin challenge, too, actually, which, in case y'all don't know, is people standing around literally like mannequins while the Ray Shrimmed song Black Beatles plays. It's funny. You know, they did it at Camp Flogna, um, the music festival that I was at this weekend with the crowd. And I think as far as internet memes go, it's funny. And I've seen more black people doing it than white people which is also why I enjoy it. So I liked her and this social media presence. You know, it was less annoying than DJ Khaled playing his own music while his wife was giving birth. (laughs) And to keep it 100, the last white people I saw do the mannequin challenge, that was also last week, and it was Hillary Clinton, and she lost. And she delivered us all into the arms of a fascist. So... Don't do the mannequin challenge, white people. (laughs) You will lose. It's cursed. (laughs) Did you see SNL this weekend, girl? Of course I did. I had to. It was my man's. It was tip. And Chappelle. (laughs) Oh, I surprised you, right? You thought I was going to say Chappelle was my man's. No, (laughs) Q-Tip is my husband. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, I love Q-Tip. I love that he is still speaking in that voice of his, even as an adult. His little high-pitched voice. Yes, yes. His his little vibrant thing voice. But, no, uh, (laughs) I was very happy to see A Tribe Called Quest. Um... First of all, their new album is amazing. And if you have not heard it, you need to go and cop that shit. It's called We the People. 
its really good album. And they performed it on SNL. I think this it's weekend. an amazing album. And they were also there with Dave Motherfucking Chappelle, who was great. Mm-hmm. However, I did write an essay this week about how SNL is still trash because they did have Donald Trump on last year, even though they knew he was racist. Yeah. And this yeah. week, they tried to pretend like they were woke, calling out his racism. I was like, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, you can't. And what I loved about your piece is you did a really good job of kind of like holding two facts to be true. One of them being that Dave Chappelle was amazing and that SNL is trash. And I think that's something that we have to get better at doing because at the end of the day, every institution is going to be colluding with Trump for Mm -hmm. the next four years. So we can't like erase the good and radical things that black people are doing within those spaces. Yes. Um Definitely need to, you know, shout out black people who are keeping it real, Um, especially um, I don't know if you've seen CNN in a few days, but I want to give a special shout out to Simone Sanders, a CNN political commentator, uh, because she was arguing with this white man on CNN and he was like, I don't know, talking about the plight of, like, white people and white voters. And she was like, boo-hoo, poor white people. And you know what? She gave me as much thrill as Dave Chappelle did this week. So I want to start this with a caveat being Leslie Jones is a black woman who has gone through horrible, horrible abuse this year, especially on the internet. You know, trolls hacked her website. When she was being the most patriotic person at the Olympics, people were making fun of her. And she's always been a target of abuse because of her size and because of the fact that she's a black woman and she's loud and all these things. So I know she has it really hard. And I want it to be clear that we are not having this discussion to berate her or to be like another set of critics. We just want to mine this these feelings of discomfort when, like always, Le- Leslie Jones is the subject of a skit or a joke where she loves like skinny white boys who are like embarrassed to be with her or don't want to be with her at all. And that's what happened on last week's SNL. Also... Um, She was critiqued for this on Twitter by some black women, um, particularly um, a great writer in front of the podcast, Angelica Bastion. And Mm -hmm. Leslie blocked her and then went on a rant about how she's playing a character and she's a comic and an actress first. Um, And I'm like, um, first of all, girl, you're a black woman first. Uh, because, you know, no one is just hiring comic, you know? If they were hiring comic, they'd be hiring a white person, which is what they do, mm-hmm. you know? It's just like this weird attempt to try and divorce herself from her blackness and what she does on television and how it represents herself is actually starting to make me uncomfortable, I think it is, too. And part of it is because there's not that many black women on SNL. There's Sashir, but we all know how I feel about Sashir's performances. Um, Well. Leslie really is. She's the funny black black woman on SNL, right? Yeah. And so when so much of her humor is rooted in this weird kind of like 
insecurity, even if it is a character, it does a disservice to all the ways women can be black, you know, in a comedic space. And so I think that's, I don't mind if she wants to play that character sometimes because that character is funny and she's not the first black female comedian to use that kind of character. But the thing is, we can't keep seeing it over and over again. You know, like the Naked and Afraid skate. Like, it's just, it's been done to death. Here's my thing. It was ironic that this happened on the week that Dave Chappelle was on because he did a Walking Dead skit where he brought back all of his characters from the Chappelle show. And it just Mm -hmm. highlighted the fact that he... You know, can give you Tyrone Biggins, but he can also give you different (laughs) characters. And his monologue and how he presents himself is a completely different person, you know? And for me, Leslie Jones's character of that black woman who's obsessed with these um, mediocre white men has become her. It's not really a character anymore. And she doesn't seem to do characters you know the other funny women on snl like kate mckinnon you know gets to play roles you know like she played hillary clinton and ruth bader ginsburg that this week when maya rudolph was on the show and you know she was a black woman who did comedy differently than leslie jones obviously uh more of an actress instead of a stand-up but you know maya rudolph played different characters and I think it's sad yeah. probably because she was lighter skinned, so it was easier for them probably to stick her into different roles. But, you know, Leslie has played just a random woman in a lot of scenes, but that character of hers always still seems to be present, you know? And it's... Yeah. I just... She was so great in Ghostbusters. <laughs> she can do so many other things. And, you know, the critique... I'm not going to speak for Angelica, who was, you know, one of the critics who tweeted about it. But it does seem like this is more rooted in a desire to see her play other kinds of roles. You know, like, girl is just getting a little old. And and not that I don't even think SNL is that important anymore anyway. But to the extent that they could have like a multicultural cast in the future during this presidency. I want to see not only people of color and black people, but I want to see them playing roles that aren't just like canned stereotypes. So that's that. America's been going through it, which is why I'm really glad we have a couple voicemails here um, with people who maybe we can make feel better if we can't even make ourselves feel better. Awesome. Hi, Ira and Doreen. This is Ray. Um, I'm just calling because I need some advice. I'm approaching 29 years old, and it's about to be winter, so it's like I'm getting to the point of the year where everything gets sad. Like, it's dark outside, and I'm another year older without feeling as accomplished or proud of myself as my younger self would have expected my 29-year-old self to be. So what do you guys do to make yourselves feel as much 
um, in love with yourselves as you should feel when these kind of depressing end of year times come around and how do you stave off the anxiety of getting another year older. We'd love to hear back from you. Thanks so much. Bye. That's such a good question, especially, you know, during this time. I love the idea of how can you remind yourself that you're in love with yourself? You know, that's a really important radical question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think for me, this kind of dovetails off of what we were talking about earlier with respect to self-care. I think that's where you got to start, girl. Like if it means, all right, I'm going to go to this yoga class once or twice a week, no matter what, you know, whether or not my job is like piling work on me. I'm going to give myself that 90 minutes twice a week. I think that's one place that you can start. The other thing is to remember that what you're describing to me sounds a lot like just like seasonal depression and that a lot of people are feeling this way, you know, especially like being in your late 20s and stuff. That's a really tumultuous time. And so maybe just kind of talking to other people who are in similar positions to you, I think it can help you realize that, you're not at all, um, I'm not trying to say that your problems aren't real, but that your problems are generalized and that by through talking with other people, you can find ways to sort of help each other out in the process. Definitely. I think that surrounding yourself with friends um, and the people who made your life bright earlier in the year is definitely a benefit and a plus. Really take the time to do something for yourself. And I don't mean You know, seasonal depression could mean that, you know, you're not motivated to do that. Or when you do something, it's not really something that's beneficial to you. Um, You know, like you may sit home and just watch television. Um, But if that's something that Mm -hmm. you regularly do, it's not going to help. You know, Um, I would say go out and, you know, visit, visit a mall or something, you know, and like eat in the food court. (laughs) <laughs> That's what we used to do when we were teenagers and shit. I don't know. You know, like it's, it feels fun, you know, or like if there's a zoo in your city or something or get a massage, like just something where you're doing something where you can be solitary and also, you know, have a little fun, you know, not something that's not your regular routine. Yeah, that's a really good point. And here we have a, another voicemail. Hey, Doreen and Ira, love the podcast, love the both of you and what you're doing with MTV and social media. You guys are awesome. Um, So great to have a black voice that's really educated and fun and fresh and funny. Um, I just need a little guidance. So I'm a black female in media, and uh, I live in a predominantly white neighborhood. I always have. And, you know, the election cycle has just been so draining to see people really show how they feel about people of color and people who come from different walks of life than their white middle class selves. So um, being in the media, I'm kind of told to keep my opinions to myself, but it takes every fiber in my being to not comment on my friend's posts on Facebook the things that they say about Colin Kaepernick's 
stealing or the police brutality that's going on or the election in general. But I also feel like it's an obligation to educate them and bring in a different voice to their life because I feel like I'm their only black friend. But then another part of me doesn't want the problems of strangers coming at me with their uneducated opinions and just not wanting to hear anyone else's. So my question to you is how would you tell someone like me to, uh, I guess, control their feelings or voice their opinion? Or what would be the best plan of action as a black woman of color in the media who also feels an obligation to educate their friends but doesn't want to be confrontational? I know that was a lot, but I hope to hear myself on the pod. If not, I hope that maybe you respond on Twitter. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks a lot. Love you. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for those kind words about me and Doreen. We really love that um, a lot of, you know, younger black people in the media are responding so well to us. And, you know, we didn't got all the answers, but we were just talking about Gwen Ifill and the legacy that she's left. And I feel like if she's taught us anything, it's you have to be honest, you know, you can't. Mm -hmm sit on what you feel because I guarantee you those white journalists are not sitting on how they feel about things. You know, you can see them every day on television expressing how they feel and we really need our voices out there. Absolutely. But I also think, you know, you're right. That instinct in you that's saying like, you know, I feel part of it is that you feel like you need to educate people because you're the only black person in their lives. I absolutely understand that motivation, too, because you're like, you know what? I know what's up. It's not going to take that much for me to explain the situation. But at the end of the day, people who are ignorant don't like to be anything else but ignorant. And I think. If there's ever a scenario in which you see a stranger on Facebook kind of just like spouting misinformation or, you know, espousing super racist beliefs, if you think that speaking out is going to do something for you, then I would absolutely say that you should do it. But if it's another motivation, one where you feel like it's your duty to inform people, I would kind of sit and say, well, how – how long can I do this for, right? How sustainable is that? How much does that drain from me? And is that more important to me than, you know, building myself up or nourishing myself or talking to people who understand the way that I see the world? So I think it's definitely something that you have to temper because you don't want to make yourself, you know, the go-to oracle for that kind of population because they're a very hostile population. But at the same time, if you see an in or an opening or a window, I would never discourage you from educating people. Thanks so much to everyone who called in this week. Uh, if you would love to reach Doreen and I at Speed Dial, our number is 424-354-9335. Leave us a message, ask us a question, or just let us know how you're feeling. Once again, that number is 424-354-9335. And leave a message. I've already started applying my white chick's makeup, so I should probably go and do that. Um, gotta What's buy your myself. Shade, boo? 
Callista Flockhart. <laughs> I'm Megan Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Talk to you next week. This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Michael Catano, James D. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasha Mahalowicz for the MTV Podcast Network with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you can find your favorite podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>